Hey everyone, I'm your host, Andres Sanchez, and this is Sociology Talk. Hey everyone, thank you for coming back to another episode of Sociology Talk. Today we have Distinguished University Professor Emeritus at the University of Maryland, Dr. George Ritzer. He is also the author of McDonaldization of Society. Really good to have you on. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. And um, so I usually, so you talk about McDonaldization, the concept. There are also other subtopics or subconcepts, efficiency, calculability, predictability, control. Um, can you just give us a little information about what McDonaldization is? What does it mean? Sure. Um, it's a concept um, that has its origin in a famous uh, German social theory by Max Weber, uh, the rationalization of society. And Weber talked about uh, the bureaucracy as the major example of, of this process of rationalization. So I used to teach uh, sociological theory and um, I found pretty quickly that um, for one thing, the bureaucracy uh, is of decreasing impl- importance. And I found that um, the fast food restaurant was a better il- illustration of what Weber meant by rationalization mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the bureaucracy. So I, sort of put those two, two things together, rationalization and, and, and McDonald's, or the fast food, McDonald's being the prime example of the fast food restaurant, the dominant fast food restaurant in the world, and uh, created the McDonaldization Society, which is kind of a, a modernization of Weber's uh, theory of the rationalization of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what's interesting is when I read this book, um, when I graduated from, or like as a senior, and then when I graduated and went to community college, I actually worked at McDonald's. So a lot of these concepts and the way that you explain them um, are very familiar to me. And for the students that I work with, um, they tend to work part-time at places like Subway or whatever, even within, right. outside of those fast food restaurants, they see these elements of McDonaldization as well. Sure. So. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, and I like how you use uh, McDonald's as an example to explain how these uh, concepts could exist in, in our everyday lives within institutions and organizations that we interact with, right? Um, it's just an absolute, absolute theoretical concept. It's a very practical uh, day-to-day concept that uh, impacts uh, everyone, uh, teachers and students, workers and fast food restaurants or factories or organizations of all sorts. Yeah, exactly. And you had mentioned, I had watched uh, some of your talks. I mean, you're, you're all over YouTube. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you mentioned that you were a Weberian. Um, sorry, I'm trying, Weberian. It's really hard to say sometimes. Uh, and yeah, and uh, I, I, after reading this text and, and reading about Weber, um, yeah, I consider myself that too. I just think that it's just so, it's just so embedded in our society in the way that we do things that it's just like everyone experiences it. And so, yeah, it's just really interesting. Um, and so what, what motivated you to uh, write the book, McDonaldization of Society? Well, as I said, one of the things was, was uh, Weber and uh, the Iberian theory and, and, uh, I was teaching courses in social theory. I was writing books in social theory and um, was looking for a way to bring this up to date and make it more relevant to students, undergraduates. And, um, you know, increasingly I found that that McDonald's um, worked well as an example of of this process. And and so I I hit upon that and... uh, you know, this was, I think I first started writing about this in, in the 1980s. And the first edition of the book was in the early 1990s. And it's been around for oh, thir- over 30 years. <laughs> yeah. It's in its 10th edition. So mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been very popular and um, lots of students have found it very useful in, in, in their classes. And I think and, and, and applying it to their, their own worlds, um, whether they as many of them do work at a, in a fast food restaurant, or mm-hmm. uh, certainly mo- most of them attend, eat in fast food restaurants. So uh, they're very familiar with this, uh, with this process. 
Um, you know, what I, what I think they don't see is either the theoretical roots of the process mm-hmm. um, or um, the extent to which uh, society has been McDonaldized in my terms. Right. Yeah. And um, you had mentioned in the newer edition, this is the 10th edition, um, the effects of McDonaldization in the midst of COVID as well. Um, Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What you came across, I guess, what you found? Well, you know, on the one hand, uh, COVID is seen as a very um, irrational event, right? This Mm -hmm. strikes suddenly and you know, thousands of people are dying as a result of this. It's, it's kind of an ultimate in the, what Weber called the irrationality of rationality. And in a funny way, uh, the COVID um, COVID germ, if you call it that, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, uh, is itself an incredibly rational entity. I mean, it, it just uh, is, is terrific at expanding you know, like McDonald's expanded around the world, this, this disease uh, spread and, uh, you know, for a long time defied efforts to, uh, to control it and still does to some degree. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, you have this seemingly irrational uh, phenomenon, which is having, uh, uh, which is in itself rational, rational in the way it, it operates. You know, the dimensions of, of, of rationalization, as you mentioned them, are efficiency, predictability, calculability, and control. Mm-hmm. And um, the COVID uh, disease was, was remarkably efficient in, in the way in which it's, it's transmitted. It's even, you know, to this day, gotten even more efficient in various ways in transmitting itself. It's highly predictable in the sense that you're, if you're exposed to a certain load of the, um, of the virus, uh, you're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, calculable, you know, great calculability in terms of Numbers of people who are infected, how long it takes to get over it, um, who does and does not get, get over it, um, and control. It, it, um, it, is exerted, it has exerted enormous control over society. And on the other hand, um, we try to develop a rational systems to McDonaldize systems that, that, that get to control it. So it's a kind of, to me, at some level, a struggle of rationalities, the rationality of the of the disease itself versus mm-hmm. the rational systems that we create. Mm, um, I think in some ways the disease is more rational than, than the systems we create. <laughs> um, but we have, con- we have continued to struggle to um, try to find ways of controlling this disease. Yeah. Um, and we haven't, we certainly have not eliminated it. It's become um, by all accounts endemic within society. Mm-hmm. And in um, that way, it's what it's one. It's here. We're not we're not eliminating uh, COVID. Uh, so you know, and all the money was spent that was spent on it, and all of the rational systems that were created to deal with it um, uh, were only uh, partially successful in in controlling it. And mm-hmm. you know, the it controlled our lives. You know, we couldn't couldn't travel for two years. Uh, innumerable ways in which it controlled our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, just we I mean, nobody was really prepared for it. Right. And and to create a system and just in case uh, methods or strategies to prepare for a pandemic like this was considered irrational in a McDonaldization society. Right. And I definitely felt it as a faculty member. I know a lot of people um, experienced it in different ways. But man, just having to just ought to, on a whim, just teach remotely from the classes that we taught face-to-face was very challenging. And just to do it on a whim was, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it just is very difficult for a lot of people. And I'm assuming a lot of students too. I mean, the, our enrollment rates dropped substantially. And yeah, I think that it's, you, we are then experiencing that, um, that irrationality of even the institution of the university system, um, or this, or even you know, at a college level, and uh, I think that that's the reason a lot of students drop is because they lost that human interaction with faculty members. They no longer could come to my office hours or uh, anything like that. They had to rely on Zoom. It's just a different way of approaching 
the institution now. And so, yeah, it's really interesting. I feel like um, COVID did definitely, <laughs> for sure, tossed a, a wrench in the gears when it comes to this McDonald's process, even within the university or the, as you mentioned, I think in the book, Mick University, right? So, yeah, so I think that that's how students, um, that's what their experiences were like. But before we even went into COVID, students definitely resonated with the books, with the book, McDonaldization of Society within their own occupation. When we talked about those concepts, as you just mentioned, efficiency, calculability, predictability, and control, once we've chatted about these and gave uh, examples of these, which the examples in the book are, are great, um, they were able to apply that to like, wow, I think that actually happens in this specific setting in my life. Um, did you feel like your students were resonating with the book the same way? I think the students are resonating with it the same way. Yeah, I mean, when, when you taught uh, the classes, um, well, I guess you had already touched on that, right? That you use that concept of McDonaldization and that's kind of what influenced you to write the book is that McDonald's was a really good example um, right. And you felt that the students were were catching that pretty well. Yeah, well, you know, students, all virtually all of them, if not all of them, mm -hmm. understand this idea immediately um, because once it's explained to them, they see the linkage between, um, well, not just a fast food restaurant, but all sorts of social institutions that they uh, participate in and the degree to which they are characterized by efficiency, particularly. Mm -hmm. Um, etc. So um, it it just hits home for them because they they can say yeah that my X Y and Z are highly McDonaldized settings and, um, mm -hmm. and you know you know my hope is I mean the book is ultimately a criticism of McDonaldization and of McDonaldized systems mm -hmm. for the control that they exercise over us. Um, so you know my hope is that. Students, is, through this book and through uh, the criticisms that exist in the book of McDonaldization, mm -hmm. they themselves will become critical of these kinds of settings and, and mm -hmm. uh, to create other kinds of settings. Uh, I mean, for example, one of the dimensions of, of offshoots of McDonaldization is impersonality. Uh, you don't have a personal relationship with a worker in a fast food restaurant. It's a very... Um, mechanical kind of relationship. And a lot of our social institutions are characterized by that. When you don't have personal relationships, you have um, impersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I would hope that students who read this book will say, wait a minute, you know, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'd like to create more personal kinds of relationships. I'd like to get out of these kinds of impersonal settings and get into more personal. Yeah. That, that's one of the characteristics by the teaching uh, during the pandemic is that it, online teaching is just much more in-person than in-person in-person teaching, right? I mean, it, just the very nature of it leads to impersonality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's, you know, so unsuccessful or was so unsuccessful compared to uh, in-person education. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, I teach online classes and I mean, this is just my opinion, but I feel like it's not as greater quality than when I'm actually in the classroom, because mm -hmm. in that case, it's, it's more personal. I mean, I'm able to see those students' faces. I'm actually able to look around and see, did I say something that didn't make sense? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Do they get it? I think it's um, an important it's, part of teaching is, that, is to be able to read your students, read your audience, and right, engage yeah. the reactions. And uh, you, can, you can see in their faces and their body language what they do and do not understand. And you can adjust your, your talk as you go, or your class as you go uh, to that. But if um, you're not there, if you're on a screen there, and I mean, we, very hard for us, for example, to assess each other over this screen. Right. We do much better over beer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, which would be great. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, and I, I feel like in the classroom, we learn so much more when it's, um, a back and forth exchange of conversations. Um, I may say something that I feel like makes sense to me, but for somebody to chime in and say, oh, I kind of understand it this way. And then we can have a conversation about that. I feel like that also helps as well, but that's not existent 
in the right. in the online setting unless you have a synchronous class where you do meet like this via zoom I mean, you can't have something like that but it still is a little impersonal because um you know i i taught senior seminar and there were like maybe one or two students that had camera on <laughs> you know and right. it's it's still very impersonal and um in that and it, it has been a little challenging too. I mean, these students, the last two years, um, I teach more upper division classes. So I see students within a two year period. And uh, they, I mean, I'm on a satellite campus, CSUB. They usually get their AA next door at Anno Valley College. And so I only get them for two years, but there are students that I, I've seen their names, but I don't know who they are, you know? And they're now coming to me for letters of recommendation and it's I found it to be very difficult but it's like because it's like you took my class and you received a grade but I still don't know you you know and it's just very interesting and so it's, you know it's, it was rational for the university to organize classes with large classes mm -hmm. um, large lecture classes um, but the, uh, the the irrationality it's rational from the university's point of view Irrationality, rationality that, uh, among other things, is that it's not not good for students. It's not a good way for students to learn, mm -hmm. uh, being lectured at, uh, not being able to interact with uh, professors in, in a classroom, and also online. It's even worse online in, in terms of the difficulty of, of interacting. So uh, you're, you're subjected to being lectured to, and then interacting with the with the with the instructor. I, I mean, I think. The best education is interactive, interactive education, mm -hmm. not just sitting there and listening to a lecture and taking notes on, on, on the lecture. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, you know, this is trying to kind of just uh, adding to that. But uh, when I was in class, I felt like people saw me as a person and treated me as a person. And it was the other way around, you know, but being so impersonal and being removed from the face-to-face -face setting, I felt that students just were <laughs> more daring or, uh, I don't know, at least in my opinion, a little bit more disrespectful, um, challenging every, every idea, uh, challenging even the way that I teach the class, which, you know, to be fair, we had to move online at a whim, so not everything's going to be perfect. Uh, but yeah, it would just, it just seemed like they were like I didn't give a care in the world. It's almost like how you they saw me. What's like that? Didn't what? Seemed like you didn't. It, it seemed like the students just didn't think that I cared, you know, and um, which is totally not true. I mean, when I before the pandemic, I had this open door policy that I just if I was there in my office, I I left the door wide open. You know, you can come in, say hi. I had students even come in and talk about what their career paths could be or what they were interested in doing. You know, I'm trying to decide between the social work, master's, master's degree in social work and a master's degree in sociology. I'm between these two things. And I, you know, tell them, what do you have a passion about? And, you know, we can have these discussions that are, sure. we can't really have these discussions in class, right? And then sure. that's all gone um, yeah. when you yeah. move to the, yeah. So that's just a lot of the, that COVID-19 had a huge impact on our everyday experiences, our everyday lives and toss the gear or toss the, wrenching the gears of McDonaldization, how that process actually works. Um, yeah. And so kind of, I have this question here as well about, um, you know, what do you, what do you think society is headed? Do you think that we're still in this path to McDonaldization or is there something else that's emerging that looks a lot different than McDonaldization? Uh, what do you think about that? Well, you know, on one hand, I don't think there's any question that we have seen more and more McDonaldization and we will see more and more McDonaldization in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a, uh, a very efficient way of handling all kinds of things is to McDonaldize it. Um, and so, you know, a simple example is the, the spread of McDonald's restaurants or fast food restaurants around the world. And uh, as you know, it's a, it's a global phenomenon. And then same with Starbucks, which is which is just another example of uh, McDonaldizations. Actually, I toyed with the idea of writing about Starbuckization for a while, but um, mm -hmm. it, it's just not. McDonald's was the, was the giant here, and 
Starbucks is just a derivative of it. Um, but so I think, you know, if you go, when I've traveled, I've always been amazed in, in Europe, for example, or Asia, how many McDonald's restaurants there are wherever you go. And um, this, was, this first occurred to me, I was living in the Netherlands in 1975. And almost the first thing I saw in Amsterdam was a McDonald's. And uh, it was very popular um, there. And it is popular throughout the world. Uh, mm-hmm. So that spread around the world is reflective of the McDonaldization. It's a simple example of it. Um, although I think what's interesting today is the, um, the fact that uh, Russia has shut down McDonald's in, uh, in, in Russia. And uh, other fast food restaurants like Starbucks and other chains, American chains, have been shut down there. And that's an interesting example of a, of a, of a lack of, a, of pushing back against the trend toward, toward McDonaldization. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, 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 only, it's only a one example. It's, it's a rarity. In most cases, most societies have embraced uh, McDonald's and the McDonald's way of life. Mm-hmm rather than uh, rejecting it. So uh, in a sense, what's going on in, in Russia today is quite interesting to me in, uh, in, in this sense. I mean, it's interesting in a lot of senses, but in, in this sense, as a, an example of um, the, the failure of McDonaldization to uh, become universal. universal. Mm-hmm. But again, that's the exception to the rule. The rule is societies throughout the world have embraced uh, McDonald's and the and McDonald's model. And they have their own varieties of it also. I mean, the thing is that it's not just that you see McDonald's overseas, you see, um, and uh, you see clones in a sense of McDonald's mm-hmm. they have their own name, but they're basically operating with the same principles. And I thought it was interesting that in Russia, um, when they closed the McDonald's restaurants, and but they opened them up a, a few weeks, months later, um, operating in fundamentally the same way. So what seems to be a counterexample of McDonaldization, Russia rejecting McDonald's, mm-hmm. in fact, becomes a positive example of it because um, the, the institutions that they set up themselves have become like McDonald's. And, you know, and that's, uh, I think that's a reflective of the power of that model that uh, uh, was, was created uh, mm-hmm. in McDonald's. Yeah. And so... They're, yeah, they're pushing back, they're shutting down the McDonald's, but it seems like, you know, you can get rid of all the McDonald's and push them out of uh, one nation, but the idea the, and the, the principles behind McDonald's are still embedded within institutions, right? So it's right. interesting. It's like, are you completely going away from McDonald's, even though that idea is still within other institutions, organizations? So yeah, that's interesting. And a lot of as you mentioned in the book, a lot of other uh, countries, they when they get a McDonald's, they're really thrilled, right? It's just this, this idea of American uh, food being brought here, anything Western was um, embraced, right? And what's interesting now is that we have these like smartphone devices <laughs> and, and we have everything at our fingertips. And although we may not have a McDonald's right inside my house, right? Um, I can just pull my phone out and go on Uber Eats, have it brought to my doorsteps and in a matter of of minutes. And so it's really interesting how smartphone devices, Amazon, those have all played a part in McDonaldization as well. Um, Yeah, Amazon is a a good example. And and another one of the, you could talk about the Amazonization society. Mm-hmm. It's had a, a tremendous impact. But if you think about the principles of, of McDonaldization, efficiency and predictability and control, et cetera, um, that's, what, that's why um, Amazon is as successful as it is. It's, it's, even more, it's even more rational in many ways than, than McDonald's. And it's having a, a broader impact on our lives. So, when, you know, we want things done efficiently. Mm-hmm. And in, in some cases, we can get things delivered the same day. Yeah. Uh, or if not, and not a day or two later. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's made the whole process of, of shopping for anything much more efficient than it ever was and, right. and more predictable. Um, and, but of course, uh, Amazon exerts great control 
over consumers and, and over the whole world of consumption now. It's so powerful. It's mm -hmm. so much more powerful than McDonald's ever was. Yeah, yeah. And partly that has to do with the fact that it, it exists in a non-material reality. It's a, it's, a, it's a digital reality, and therefore it can spread everywhere. Uh, McDonald's is a, is a material phenomenon. So, you, you know, you've got to go there. You, yeah. It's very hard to get a hamburger um, online. Yeah. Actually, impossible. Uh, I mean, they'd, they'd like to figure out a way to do that, but they haven't. So, yeah. in fact, mm -hmm. you get all that stuff from online, from the comfort of your uh, study or computer and, and dorm room. And uh, that's just more a bit more, more more efficient than going to, to whatever shop you're going to to get that goods or services. So uh, its impact on society has been enormous. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting so, um, because when Amazon had become such a huge um, entity, it's it's almost hard to get away from it. I mean, uh, they you order something online and like you mentioned, you get it a day or two later. And it, they're trying to streamline that process of you ordering something um, and then receiving it at your doorstep. And I guess the irrationality or the, the back, um, uh, the negative part of that would be, we see now these, these retail stores close up, yeah, right? Sure. It's because we could just go and buy something cheap. I mean, shipping's free from Amazon and that gets shipped to our doorstep. So it's very streamlined, very efficient, but also there are some irrationality aspects of, sure. of that process. It becomes irrational to go shopping. I mean, you sometimes think, well, am I crazy? I could just get this from Amazon. Amazon. Why do I feel crazy? Why do I feel and the other thing, uh, I've had this experience lately with several, several things I've bought from Amazon. Um, I'll, I'll try to return it. And they will say, um, never mind, you can keep it. <laughs> it especially relates to um, coffee, for example. We had a problem getting the coffee I want. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I said, right back and say, um, I want to return this. And they say, um, no, keep it. And we'll, we'll send you the coffee that you want. So I end up with two pounds of coffee rather than one. And that's right. just, you know, the, from, from their point of view, returns of things is just an irrationality that gives them um, work that um, they, they don't want to do. And so it's, it's better for them for you to keep these products. I, I sometimes think of, of uh, how many people must be excluding this. I mean, if you, although I suspect that, the, that, that uh, Amazon has a system of accounting for this where they say, wait a minute, you, you've done this several times. I'm not going to let you do this. But I, I've done it several times with several different products. And they say, I'll oh, just keep it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's happened to me. I mean, it's just like uh, almost seems like maybe it costs more to send it back. So they're just like, yeah, yeah keep it, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And um, what what fascinates me about the book as well is this idea of control as well. Um, I'm kind of digging more into the concepts now, but uh, the I have control as the process is, that's exerted over the customer. This is like in McDonald's lines, limited menus, few options, uh, uncomfortable seats, because the goal is to get you in and out. They want you to eat quickly right. and then leave. And right. I thought this, I thought that this was really fascinating. And, and it seems like it goes hand in hand with the iron cage in that anytime we enter an institution or an organization, we're often only given few choices. I mean, right. the one thing that I always mention that students tend to resonate with is the DMV, right? There's no special privileges. There's no uh, getting ahead in line unless you've made an appointment. There's, there's all these processes that are set in place and you have to go about following them. And right. uh, my wife uh, experiences firsthand when we got married and she had to update her social security. Um, she went there and spent like the whole day just waiting in line. <laughs> and, uh, and so these, they set these rules and these processes in place that you have to abide by, but a lot of the times they're not very efficient. 
they're inefficient. And, um, and we had a problem where she went, requested a new social security uh, card and we never got in the mail. And she was like, oh man, so now I have to go and do that again. And <laughs> she waited all day again. And I'm laughing. She probably wouldn't be laughing. Uh, but um, yeah, just to kind of give you some background information, we had just moved into an apartment in Lancaster, California. And so, you know, we're requesting these new. And the third time, so we didn't get the second one. The third time, I didn't know this, but I guess they can't send you a third one beyond uh, within, a within a year. So if you request a certain amount of social security cards, whatever, they won't send you one after your third request. Mm -hmm. And so we went to the post office and we're like, hey, we can't, we cannot have this be returned. So what's happening? And we had, we had visited the post office like several times and, and they were like, they came back, dude, finally came back. It was like, oh, you know, what happened was the person that lived in your apartment before also had the last name Sanchez. And so we were just returning anything that came in with the last name Sanchez, even though your last name Sanchez as well. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I just felt, we just felt trapped. Like we, we wanted to just go to a person and be like, this is what's happening, but we have to work through these chains and this red tape that's like kind of set, set everywhere. So even though we have these limited choices, it's very difficult for us to get from point A to point B. Um, so we kind of, and that's when I, I felt the like iron cage, you know, right. Weber talks yeah. about. Right. And so, yeah, I just can't help to think about how control kind of goes hand in hand with iron cage, at least with my experience. So, okay. yeah. So it was very interesting. Then, we have to, sorry, go ahead. An imagery of Weber's of an iron cage that the, the rational systems are, are iron cages and, and the government bureaucracies are, you know, great examples of that. You're, you're, Experience is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for most, most people, they don't look at it that way. Um, they're a uh, guild. I, I gave it some titles of different kinds of cages. Oh, vel velvet cage. Um, you know, for some people, what, I'm, what, what you're talking about, and I'm talking about is an iron cage. They're, they're, it's a velvet cage. They love it. So McDonald's, most people love McDonald's. It's a velvet yeah. cage. It's not an iron cage. Mm -hmm. um, because it's a velvet cage, they don't want to escape from it. They're happy to be in that cage. They don't even look at it as a cage. And, um, you know, so it, it depends how you define it. And mm -hmm. if you define it in those kind of positive, positive, positive terms as, as a velvet cage, that something that luxuriate in rather than to uh, be put off by. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the way it is in, in, in today's world. Most people see all of these things as velvet cages, not iron cages. They don't, there's very little rebellion to Amazon or McDonald's. Mm -hmm. they're, they're velvet cages. They're, they, what, what the clients tend to emphasize is the advantages and they don't see the disadvantages, the irrationalities of, of, the, of these rational systems. Right, yeah. I mean, because it's before McDonald's, it was like, it took you, a lot of energy to get food on the table. You have to go shopping, you have to prepare the food. You know, we didn't have things like Blue Apron, things like that, that you mentioned in the text that sends you all the ingredients. All you gotta do is chop it up, put it in the, in the stove or the, or the microwave or whatever maybe. Right. And it just makes it, a lot of people see it as like a luxury to get your food in a matter of minutes. You know, it's like right. now we have, we're so exposed to McDonaldization. It's like people tap their feet, cross their arms, and are like <laughs> upset if they're waiting more than a few minutes for their food to come up. I mean, I experienced this working at McDonald's. It was like, gosh, <laughs> people would just get so upset. And I get, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're missing your primary need, you're hungry. And so a lot of people handle that differently, but man, waiting like 10 minutes, people were just like, this is, outrageous and so a fit i had a guy fast food yeah fast food. you know and i had this one guy I, i'll always remember it i was just like he was he was sitting at a table with his uh a girlfriend or whatever maybe and he just like threw his hamburger on the ground and i was like what was that about and then um 
comes up and says, this, this is garbage. This, this tastes like, like crap. And I'm like, what did you expect, man? Like, this isn't like, uh, you know, and it is just, it's not like some five-star restaurant, <laughs> you know, right. McDonald's. And so the quality is replaced with quantity. I mean, McDonald's, McDonaldization uh, equates quantity and, and quality, right? right? So as, as if you could produce, um, you know, a numerous amount of burgers in a certain period of time, that's a low price, right? And it, quantity is price. Yeah, and the price as well. Yes, yeah, so also bang for your buck. Yeah, um, and people see that as like uh, that's that's the goal of McDonaldization that we were replacing the quality of these these products with how many of them can you produce, and so yeah, that's yeah. that's also and that's how, the, how quickly we can get it, how easily we can get it, right? Yeah. We, we can get it. It reduces uh, all kinds of uh, subjective variables, to quantitative variables. And, so it's right. all about, you know, time. McDonald's, as I point out in the book, is, you know, very obsessed with measuring things and the quantification of the size of the burger and how many French fries go into a, each one of those pouches and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. How long does it take us to process a, a customer? Everything's got to be fast food. It's fast food. And yeah. fast uh, as, as negative consequences. That's all you're doing is fast. And, you know, Mm-hmm. Fast education is not necessarily the most effective education. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I mean, my wife uh, used to teach students. Uh, she was an adult education instructor, mm-hmm. and she would prepare students to graduate taking the GED, right, that exam. And she witnessed the calculability of McDonaldization firsthand within her institution or where, where she worked at. Um, because they got their revenue or their, their funds, uh, from outside don donations, they were nonprofit. And so, um, they wanted to see numbers, numbers equaled quality to them. So if they saw a lot of people succeeding in this organization that, uh, produce graduates getting their GEDs, mm-hmm. then the more money that they would receive because it's like, Oh, this is right. actually working. Right. Um, but in order to, I guess, in my mind, fabricate those numbers or, or make them go up, they changed it so that they're preparing them not for the GED, but for a different type of exam, which she felt was low quality. But mm-hmm. if students were able to obtain that and then move, move beyond that, um, right. it was, it was you know, those numbers helped. So that, in, that organization really relied on those numbers, even though they lowered the quality of something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just very interesting. It just pops up. All these concepts just pop up in our everyday lives. There's also this um, this idea where I think where some universities, some CSUs um, have students sign this contract and say, hey, you know, in order to get into classes early or whatever, I'm not actually sure exactly how it works, but I think they get into classes early with the promise that they graduate within a certain time span. And so these students are, are uh, stacking all these units and some of them work part-time. I mean, we serve a community of working class students and they have to work and go to school right. at the same time. So it's putting a lot of strain and pressure on them. It's like, gosh, you know, like you could be graduating, throwing all these units together and graduating with <laughs> from classes with C's or, or whatever it may be, D's. Uh, but are you getting a quality education? You know, it's kind of like, you know, we're trying to punch out all these numbers of students to really make ourselves look good in numbers. But is that quality of education actually there? So, yeah, it's interesting. You, you see McDonaldization um, and then that's that's calculability. Um, you know, it's all about quantity. It's just hard to assess quality. So you always you always fall back on, on quantity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there are lots of quantitative measures in the university. Students are, are good if they get a high grade. But, you know, high grades do not necessarily correlate directly with knowledge and, and how much you learn. You often learn, a C student can learn a lot of stuff and not get, you know, get good, good grades, whereas a, some people who get A's don't necessarily um, learn very much in the process. Yeah. You learn how to get an A. You learn how to be an A student. Mm-hmm. So learn stuff and so 
and, and professors are assessed the same way. I mean, there's it, all kinds of quantitative measures of professors and how much you've published or how many students you're teaching. Mm -hmm. It's all reduced to, reduced to these quantitative dimensions and the quality of what you write, for example, is, is not discussed. The quality of your teaching is secondary to how many students you process and mm -hmm. how many you produced and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's this emphasis on, on quanti quantification calculability um, plays a big role in the university. And uh, in many cases, it's, it's negative. It's, a, it's, the, it's one of the irrationalities of rationality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, which is why you get the bigger size classrooms versus the smaller ones before, uh, because we're trying to make those numbers go up. You know, it's a uh, McDonaldization. And um, yeah, so was there, you had mentioned the relationship between uh, McDonaldization and globalization. Um, would you like to speak a little on that? Yeah, I mean, um, actually, uh, I got interested in globalization uh, after I was working on McDonaldization and it became a focal interest for, for a while. And I published a number of books on, on globalization. Um, but um, McDonald's is a global phenomenon. McDonald's has globalized uh, it itself. And more importantly, it's globalized these, these ways that organizations operate. And, and so, um, you know, throughout the world, you see McDonald's operating in all kinds of social institutions, social set settings. It's, it's very attractive uh, in, in these settings. It's attractive to people who run them. Uh, it's attractive to those who participate in them. And, and so it's a, a just spread around the world and uh, you, you see it virtually everywhere and in, in everything that goes on in those worlds. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing is I don't think you, you're often conscious of it, um, conscious of it or con and, and conscious especially of its negative consequences for, for us. Uh, we, we don't, we don't, the thing is we, we don't have a name for it. I mean, this is the name for it, but it's not as if the public you know, talks about things from the point of view of McDonaldization. Um, so that this process is going on and I can't put it all together. Well, what's going on in the universe? Here's the key point, I think. What's going on in a university is not much different than what's going on at a fast food restaurant or in many other settings. Right? And mm -hmm. if you don't have the, the theoretical perspective, you can't see the commonalities in terms of what's going on at a fast food restaurant, what's going on in a university and, and many other settings. And so um, I think that's why it's a powerful tool to um, think about not just fast food restaurants, but think about almost all social institutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you had mentioned that um, the book is a critique, actually, of McDonaldization of society. Right. Um, do you think there are any ways to resist McDonaldization? You had mentioned Starbucksization, um, but that in itself, Starbucks is, does have elements of McDonaldization still. Um, I guess for the average person that's like, hey, I don't want to be part of this process anymore. Is there any way for an individual to actually resist McDonaldization? Well, you know, uh, in previous editions of the book, I had long sections on resisting McDonaldization. And um, so, for example, there was in Europe something called the slow food movement. And it, it grew up in, in opposition to the fast food and the spread of fast food. Um, and it was a very, very attractive uh, alternative, um, but it disappeared. I mean, it, for, for some years, I've forgotten in the 1990s or 2000s, I was speaking uh, at meetings of the Soul Food, Soul Food Association. And um, they were basically in business of creating a different model where the, the emphasis was on quality of good food, not fast food. Mm. Um, but that it, organization disappeared. I mean, it was, a, it was a big thing for a while, especially in Europe, uh, had its origins in Italy. Um, for a number of years, I was invited to speak at, at uh, various things that slow, slow food ran in Europe. But I haven't heard from them in, in 10 years. And mm. uh, I, I find very little evidence that they're still alive. And I think that's a good indication of the power of McDonaldization and the inability to, to oppose it. Oppose it. Um, I mean, of course, we can oppose it on an individual level. We can not go to McDonald's. I mean, that would destroy it if we didn't go there. Mm -hmm. um, but we do go there and, and, and to other, other places like that. So uh, um, basically, 
if we want to oppose these places, we can do it with our feet and, and not go there and not uh, buy things from Amazon. There are all kinds of things that we can do. Um, mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, it's just easy to go along. It's easier to go along than, than to find alternatives to it and resist it. Yeah. And of course, as, as things become more and more McDonaldized and more and more things become McDonaldized, um, it becomes harder, harder to oppose it. And, um, and so you end up in a situation, this iron cage. I mean, to me, the world today is an iron cage of rationalization, more so than in Davis' day. And it's, it's difficult to oppose it. It's difficult to escape from it. Um, and that's to say nothing of the fact that there's a vast number of people who just love it. It's a, bev- mm-hmm. it's a velvet cage. They're really the happiest pigs and pigs and big. <laughs> yeah. The expression. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how can you build a, a resistance to this when people love it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, my wife and I, we tried to our best to get more quality ingredients um, in our products, shop with local farmers, Right. Uh, buy local products right. and I feel like that's warming against the grain of McDonaldization or, or uh, rejecting it as much as we can and I, I often joke with my wife I'm like our son is like just like healthier healthier than I ever was as a kid <laughs> you know because we we had tons of McDonald's you know my my both my parents worked full-time and we I came from a working class background right. and so it was just easier you know my 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 mom and dad when they came home from work it's tiring you know you work 10 10 hours a day and now you have to prepare dinner and um it's a lot of people just see that mcdonald's and they're like that's just easy you know it's just get it and you know feed your family and then go to bed and start your whole day over again and those are i guess what draw people into mcdonald's and to follow that trend of mcdonaldization um but yeah, we've tried our best to shop locally, um, eat grass-fed meat, um, you know, just because they're not, those cows are not, or that type of meat is not involved in that process of McDonaldization, feeding them grains or whatever it is, fatten them up, um, eating more organic um, vegetables, right. fruit, um, and then getting those from, from local farmers. Uh, so yeah, those are the ways, I guess, um, we can battle McDonaldization is not, you'd mentioned not to set foot in there. And um, do you think that by rejecting McDonaldization, uh, you know, pushing back against the grain and let's say, you know, in a world where we, we um, remove McDonald's, it just goes bankrupt, whatever. Uh, same thing with Amazon. Do you think that other alternatives would pop up that can move us away from the direction of McDonaldization, or is it? Are we in a place in society where we're so immersed in that logic, in those principles, that even removing McDonald's, the physical location itself, everywhere, would we still be in a McDonaldized society? You know what I mean? Well, we'd have to call it something else if McDonald's was gone. We have to have another <laughs> label for it. Yeah, but um, you know, I think in a way, a mass society. Um, a large-scale society, it's very difficult to think of um, how you would run that society in, in any other way but in a McDonald's way. I mean, it's a paradox here is that it really is the most efficient way to do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to do X, Y, or Z. Um, but on the other hand, we see the problems with it and, and uh, we need to rebel against it. But... Um, I mean, that's sort of the $64 question here. Can, can we run a society uh, that is not rationalized? Can you run a large-scale society? I mean, think of the, um, the anti, uh, the vaccine against uh, COVID. COVID. Um, that was an amazing example of the uh, advantages of, of McDonaldization. That whole process was McDonaldized to a very high degree. And, and they went from being unable to treat the disease to, to having the vaccine in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And it was done uh, through this process of rationalization. So, you know, that's the other side of it. Uh, you know, um, many of us are alive because of rationalization and healthcare and uh, other things. Uh, mm-hmm. 
the drug industry, the medication industry is, is highly rationalized and it's to our advantage uh, that it produces massive quantities of highly effective drugs. So, uh, you know, there's another side to it. Uh, we can rebel against it, but we also uh, you know, should be aware of, of the advantages uh, of it. Uh, I mean, I think the bottom line is, is not to sort of blindly say we're going to rebel, rebel against it all, but rather to, to say, well, this is the system we live in. Um, and um, we need to be um, sophisticated participants, participants in it, consumers in it, and to, um, to humanize it when we can. So we're, when we're teaching, for example, we may be existing in a rationalized educational system, mm-hmm. but those of us who, are, who are, are, or were or good at it uh, try to humanize it in various ways. And um, in fact, that's a pretty good way of dealing with most McDonald's bar systems to try to humanize them. It's very difficult to do that with the Internal mm-hmm. Revenue Service, for example, or uh, government bureaucracies, or, or many bureaucracies. But um, it's worth the fight. I mean, we need to we need to uh, uh, resist the process, resist the iron cage. Um, maybe we need to go down fighting, but um, we need to resist this process because it's. Uh, it's an iron cage, and an iron cage is strangles in, in various ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I would say, you know, there's certain theories that we talk about in class. And uh, one of the examples that it's that's given is that there's this whole, I mean, our society is just so obsessed with rationality to a point where it becomes irrational. I mean, right. we make, who can build the biggest nuclear bomb? right? <laughs> and that tells us that is a symbol of who is a stronger nation. But the irrationality is we're trying to pump up our muscles and, and show who's got the bigger guns. And the results could be mutual annihilation, the right. irrationality of it. So, right, right. Yeah. Right. The ultimate irrationality, irrationality, that we kill each other. Right. Exactly. So, and, um, We'll either kill them with, with the rationalized the nuclear bombs or kill them with McDonald's food, one or the other. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, hey, Dr. George Ritzer, I'm, I'm super happy that you're able to come on. Um, really enjoyed our conversation and um, hope to have you back soon and, uh, you know, talk to you again about, um, you know, what you're doing and, and any new addition that you may produce from this book. <laughs> okay. All right. You deal. Okay. Thanks, Andres. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Sociology Talk. For more stories about sociologists, please subscribe and check out my other episodes. Take care. <laughs>